Hello, everyone, and welcome. My name is Jana Panaritis, and you're listening to the AgeWise podcast, where we give you strategies for aging well and wisely. And how do you do that when on top of struggling to meet the demands of your own life, you're also caring for an aging parent or a spouse, or maybe you're caring for another member of your family? Well, we're here to help. Each week, we'll hear from the experts, professionals in the field of aging, and people like you, unsung heroes rising to the occasion of caring for a loved one and finding unexpected rewards along the way. So stick around for some straight talk on aging in all its unpredictable glory. Angela O oh is a civil rights attorney who has written and spoken extensively about the opportunities and challenges presented by diversity. In the late 1990s, she was appointed by President Bill Clinton to serve on the seven-member advisory board of the President's One America Initiative, an effort directed at examining how race, racism, and racial differences have affected the United States. Angela is currently living and working in Los Angeles as a mediator for the California Department of Fair Employment and Housing. And when she's not doing that, she's paying a good deal of attention to the health and safety of her own aging parents. I'm happy to welcome this dynamo to the podcast, who is also an ordained Zen Buddhist priest. Angela O, welcome. Thank you. I'm glad to be here with you. The entity that I work with the California Department of Fair Employment and Housing has three main units. My unit, the Dispute Resolution Division, is positioned to deal with cases before litigation is initiated, where complaints come in involving allegations of discrimination. There is age discrimination, there's disability, there's the protected classes that everyone would know right away having to do with race, ethnicity, national origin, religion, sexual orientation, gender. California has a pretty robust civil rights protection in place. So what most people hear about in the context of workplace discrimination is the EEOC. But the state of California's Fair Employment and Housing Act has even more stringent requirements to be met to ensure that there is no discrimination in the workplace. We also know that federally there's the Housing and Urban Development Agency, but in the state of California, the same law, FIHA, protects people from discrimination in housing. And then on top of that, we have a a law in effect that protects against race or, or ethnic or religious or all of the protected classes violence, And we also have um, protection to ensure no discrimination in public accommodation and services. So you can see that there's a broad range of um, consideration that's been given in California, given the diversity of our state, not a surprise. Mm -hmm. And have you had any mediations that you can talk about where there has been uh, discrimination based on age or has affected the health care sector? Yes. I mean, first of all, I can't speak specifically about cases, but Mm -hmm. I can speak broadly about what I've seen in terms of trends and issues that have emerged Mm -hmm. related to age, related to disability. And, you know, of course, there's the intersection of all of that. And then even on top of all of that, 
protections and concerns about people having to face the possibility of deteriorating health conditions and possibly even death if there isn't some way of resolving practices, protocols, policies that are in place to ensure that everyone can live well and, you know, meaning have a healthy and effective set of policies and procedures that protect people's well-being. Mm-hmm. And so what are the trends that you're noticing? Well, first, just as a general matter, we're seeing a larger number of complaints uh-huh. filed mm-hmm. based on age and disability. And this isn't surprising given the demographic shift in our population generally in terms of the aging population. Also, we are seeing in California the access of services for immigrant populations. So limited English proficient sectors of our population in California are learning about what protections are in place when they face situations that may involve discrimination that is unlawful, and people are learning to access the legal system. They're learning about the fact that this isn't acceptable in our state and in the country for the most part. So they are asking for help. They're reporting situations where they're being denied services or being treated in a manner that is not fair not equal to what everyone else who would be proficient in the English language would be able to access. So it's an interesting time, I think, to be in a place where my main role is to look at the allegations of possible unlawful activity and then have the opportunity to convene parties who are affected and begin to problem-solve with them so that some kind of resolution can come about that would not force the interested parties to resort to litigation, which we all know is very costly, it's very time-consuming, and frankly, it's very harmful, in my view, to have to go through a litigation process when you're in the middle of trying to deal with life-threatening, sometimes, situations. Mm-hmm. One of the beauties of mediation is that it's a confidential process, and, it, and the confidentiality is is taken very seriously with regard to how the law operates in connection with efforts to try and resolve disputes. And it's because of that confidentiality that people feel comfortable being really, really candid about their position and their their views. The rules of evidence, the rules of civil procedure, they don't apply in the mediation setting. Mm -hmm. So that people can bring in for consideration by other parties factors that might not ever make it in if formal litigation were to ensue, but are critical to figuring out a resolution Mm -hmm. so that litigation doesn't have to happen in the first place. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I can broadly speak to the fact that, especially when you're dealing with um, elders in our communities, especially in that context, It's really important to not lose sight of the fact that time is of the essence in trying to figure out a resolution. Mm -hmm. And also to take into consideration economics, which is not something that is a protected class. You know, poverty is not a protected class. Mm -hmm. Um, So 
of course, the reason why I raise that is because many elderly are on fixed incomes. Mm -hmm. They're either limited incomes or, you know, low income, frankly. And in those situations, in this country, we don't have as generous a plan to take care of elderly people as other countries may have. And so it becomes an issue in mediating discrimination cases because the people who have wealth, they're typically not as limited in their options as the people who are facing poverty or limited income. And so it becomes very, very important that in the mediation process anyway, in finding a resolution to a charge of discrimination based on my age, based on my age and my health condition, um, that you understand what your obligation is as a provider of a service or as a provider of housing. And those obligations are to engage with me in a meaningful, good faith, interactive process so that a reasonable accommodation can be found. And in California, what we're learning is that it's not enough to just engage in the interactive process, which requires, by the way, the person bringing the complaint or the condition to the attention of the housing provider or the service provider to have documentation to show that this is a real condition. It doesn't have to specify the particulars, but there has to be a document, a letter, from a healthcare provider that says this person has a condition that requires an accommodation. Mm-hmm. And in some instances, like in a work situation, you know, it can say what an accommodation might include, right? Mm-hmm. And then what happens is the person that's being asked for the accommodation or the entity has to have a process, an interactive process, not just a policy in place so that they can turn to it and say, well, this is our policy when people ask for accommodation. Right. So this is it. Right. No. They have to actually, on a case-by-case basis, sit with the person asking for the accommodation, review what the request is, and then they have to see if they can make that accommodation. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And, the limitation being that whatever the accommodation is cannot present an undue hardship. So there has to be this engagement that's meaningful. And what we found recently is that people will engage, but it's not in good faith. So we've been more recently been having to emphasize it has to be a good faith interactive process. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. can't just be that you've had the process and it happened on January 25th at 10 o'clock in the morning with Mr. Smith and Ms. Jones and y- yourself. Mm-hmm. No, that's not going to be enough. So that would implicate that there has to be follow-up, there has to be consideration given to you know, what the conditions are that are being examined for an accommodation to be made and, and then what the follow-up is. Mm-hmm. So for people who are listening to this who just don't even know where to begin to turn to go down this path, what sort of advice uh, can you give them when they have issues like this that come up? Well, in the state of California, they need to look up the Fair Employment and Housing Act. Mm-hmm. They need to look up the Ralph Civil Rights Act, and they have to look up the UNRWA Civil Rights Act. In other parts of the country, when it comes to the fundamental issues around housing and employment, they need to look to um, the, the federal EEOC and HUD. Okay, these, and you just can go onto the internet and you can use whichever search engine you like 
and you need to put in those um, entities federally. And, and then you find out, when you contact them, whether or not there's a state law. And mm-hmm. if the state law exists, typically it's going to be more protective of one's um, rights than um, the federal law. Mm-hmm. And I think you, it, it's also important to note that both state and federal law have retaliation as a separate claim from whatever might be the underlying claim of discrimination. Hmm. So you cannot be retaliated against for seeking protection under the law. Mm-hmm. It happens sometimes in situations where a person is seeking help mm-hmm. under the law. The entity that provides the service, that provides the housing, that provides the employment mm-hmm. may retaliate. Mm-hmm. Not only that, people who are asked to be witnesses, in other words, they heard something, they saw something, they were present when something happened. If they are fearful about coming forward, at least in California, the law protects them as well. They would have a separate claim. It might not be the discrimination claim. It would simply be a retaliation claim for providing support to someone who is seeking protection. And people have grave misunderstandings about what the state of the law is because, again, I'm going to go to the Internet. (laughs) The Internet, of course, archives everything. And so some of the things that are on the Internet, especially I've just realized in California that this is the case, some of the things on the Internet are simply outdated. Uh They're no longer applicable. But the general public will go and, if they're not sensitive to and aware of the fact that the Internet doesn't clean itself out every year or every five years or every ten years, the Internet is permanent information that is kept forever, as far as we know today. And so people who go on the Internet need to be aware that they need to pay attention to the dates on things. Okay, and then they need to ask, is it still the same now as it was in 1992? Mm-hmm. The answer will most likely be no. Mm-hmm. There's an update. The, the pressure is so great on people already when you're talking about attending to a loved one's needs. And so I think on top of having to deal with that, there's this reluctance maybe for people to, to fight back, as it were, and to... You know, it's it's a real problem because it's hard enough just to make sure that the person that you care about, and I'm talking, of course, about the healthcare sphere now. You're t- you know, there's all other layers of this, but when you're talking about caring for someone you love, and if something comes up, you know, you're just barely keeping up with being a caregiver, and so to add that to it, it can be daunting. I think. Yes. Um, yes, and so what's happening, I think, in the field of services for seniors is that um, service providing organizations in various places, I know that's the case here in California, I know of at least one, they're sort of realizing that they need to beef up the service delivery model Mm -hmm. if they even have one. I think in the field of providing service to seniors, um, you know, we're we're seeing an evolution, a development um, emerging even as we speak. In the beginning, it was about where can we provide a place for them to be. Mm -hmm. So for people with income and the ability to pay, 
you know, you have Leisure World, for example, Mm -hmm. you know, where you could pay some money and basically move into an environment that is for people who are over a certain age. I think it used to be 55. I think that's what it still is, yeah. Is it? Mm -hmm. So you become eligible to be able to um, occupy one of the units that are uh, built in their development. And their development is special because they have the capacity to deliver a nice living situation plus health care services as part of that. And over time, you've seen um, coordinated care emerge where, you know, you live in that kind of an environment for a while, but maybe now you need more frequent healthcare interventions treatments, okay? So now we've got this added component where you can move to another part of the development where there's more intensive healthcare being provided and other services to meet specific needs. Uh, what comes to mind are diagnoses of dementia, mm-hmm. Alzheimer's. My mm-hmm. father is an Alzheimer's senior, and he's still very lucid and able to recognize family members, but the diagnosis has been presented to the family. So the family is preparing on many levels to meet the needs that my dad will have. But then sometimes seniors go into intensive care, and they need those services. So a very sophisticated setup would have the senior housing situation, then they would have some kind of intermediate medical care, and then they might have intensive care. And then when you are well again, you might go back to a less intensive environment or even back to living independently. But all of this is evolving as we speak, as Mm -hmm. the age of the population of this country begins to shift into a higher age bracket you're seeing more and more of an interest in these kinds of models and what can be done. Take, in addition to that, the fact that we are a diverse country. And so now you have, this is where my old expertise is coming into play, (laughs) where you have immigrant populations who are often concerned about being able to feel comfortable in an environment. So the type of food and nutritional practices is different. The type of activities, it's not going to be bingo. It might be setting flower or it might be chanting or it might be doing some other kind of music program that's not going to be folk music, but it might be the mandolin or it could be a kosher diet that one needs to keep. And you have enough seniors in these subpopulations now that could fill an entire facility. And then you have the community at large in these niche markets that are concerned about affordability. And I think it's true in the mainstream as well. There there are those who cannot afford $8,000 a month. Most people can't. Yeah, sure. Most cannot. You have the LGBTQ community. They might not want to be out of their community. They've been conscious about where they lived in their working life and they want to be in the same community in their senior life. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so many ways that things are starting to unfold for this segment of work to be done in our society going forward. Mm-hmm. So what I've seen in my work is the intersection of all of these things coming into conflict. Mm-hmm. And really, I'm glad to say it's been very productive to engage in mediation as opposed to litigation over these issues. Time is of the essence for this segment of the population. They cannot afford the time, nor can they spend their money on mm-hmm. litigation as a strategy. Mm-hmm. 
You talked briefly about your dad. Can we uh, talk about your parents? And you mentioned your dad being diagnosed with Alzheimer's. So tell me how they are doing, how both of your parents are doing. I know they're still living. Yes, they're in their mid-80s and moving into their later 80s. And one parent, my mom, is still very active. I mean, she does her line dancing and yoga and choir and piano lessons. Wow, that's great. She does a lot of activities. She still drives. She's taken over the finances. She doesn't like to cook as much because she's just, there's two people. She's got (laughs) six people she cooks for, so now there are two. And then my father, who was very much the leader in the family, he did the driving, he did the books, he did the decision-making, he understood the insurance policies, he did the negotiating of any uh, resource expenditures with outsiders. That is now being taken over by my sister, who happens to be fortunate enough to live 10 minutes away and have a flexible schedule, so she's able to be available uh, on a weekly basis to coordinate with my mom, who's kind of excited about learning all these new things, or has been. Mm -hmm. Um, The the difficulty has been, however, that, you know, everyone in our family, we're ethnic Korean, my parents immigrated here in their 20s as college students. Placement in an assisted living situation is not yet acceptable to any of us. We we have three daughters and a son. The three daughters all live within 10 minutes of my parents. So there is support, social mm-hmm. support. This mm-hmm. is what we call a different kind of currency. And it, as it turns out, as you get older, social con- currency is more valuable than money. And thankfully, we don't have anything yet that's really hit. There's been clarity about advanced directives and about the DNRs and about, you know, how to share responsibility for decision-making, but it is getting more and more challenging for my mom, who is in high-stress mode when my dad has these periods where it's not just the repetition, but personality shifts, where Mm -hmm. stubbornness and frustration begin to emerge. It's only been recently that my mother has been willing And my father, thankfully, has accepted a new personality in their lives because sometimes my sister cannot be available. And so we have somebody who comes in for three hours a day, three days a week, Mm -hmm. from 9 to noon. That's Mm -hmm. it. That person is actually available for more time, but my parents both refuse. And they're both still active enough in the decision-making that we are honoring that, Mm -hmm. but we're watching it very closely. And then, you know, we are aware that there's a neighborhood senior assisted living facility close by, but it's a mainstream facility. My parents are ethnic Korean, Mm -hmm. and one of the things I have observed as they've gotten older is they retreat back into their native language, Mm -hmm. which happens to be both Japanese and Korean, Mm -hmm. because when they grew up in Korea, it was during a time when they were students where the Japanese were present as the occupying force. Mm -hmm. So their first formal language is Japanese. Mm -hmm. So I'm hearing more Japanese and Korean from both of them. Interesting. Right? So now where is there going to be a facility if they continue to live another decade and a half? I mean, they're pretty robust. Mm -hmm. So if they live long and the trend continues that I'm starting to observe... Where is that facility? Does it exist? No, it does not. I can tell you right now, it does not. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It is affordable, right? Mm -hmm. 
and they're not going to eat oatmeal in the morning. They're going to have rice, mm-hmm. a little bit of fish, mm-hmm. and either miso or some seaweed soup or something like that. They're not going to drink as much coffee. They're going to have their green tea. They're not going to have dessert. They're going to have fruit. Do you, do you understand Absolutely. Like, how significant yeah. this is? Right. So we cannot just take them over to Sunrise Living Assistant Living Center and think, oh, they'll be happy there. We can't do that. And not in good conscience anyway. Right. And then aside from that, we come from a tradition where you take care of your elders. Now, here's the flip side. I know people, because I'm in the age cohort that is doing that, my my friends, you know, range from very young, much younger than me to 25 years 30 years older than me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a 97-year-old friend in New York City who still lives on her own, and she walks to the metro or mm-hmm. the underground. She does everything on her own. And then I have my parents who don't go anywhere unless they go in a car. Okay? They mm-hmm. don't even walk. This is Southern California. So <laughs> what I'm seeing here is that even if they have the means, there's also the deep cultural frame that Again, it it comes to emerge again in your senior years. So the deep cultural frame here is Confucianism. Mm -hmm. And so for the heavens to be correct, for life to be in harmony, there are five very key relationships that have to be maintained, one of them being a child to their parent. And you don't violate that by handing that responsibility off to strangers or even people that you know in the community You don't do that very easily. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of excited to be living right now because I just feel like, you know, my old work, which turns out now to be my continuing work in a different way, was around race and ethnic relations Mm -hmm. and diversity and the opportunities as well as the challenges that diversity brings. And now I happen to be in this job where not only do I see all of that, but also I see what happens with elders, and I see, you know, what happens when private parties as well as public and nonprofit entities are in the picture. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just been quite extraordinary for me to realize that in this space that you are focused on around seniors, current trends, issues, and things to think about, that I've actually started seeing the manifestation of what diversity means in this space. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, Angela, you're married, and your husband, Ming Tu, was born in Taiwan. That's right. And his orientation to the situation of my aging parents, I'm thankful for it, his orientation. First of all, he's first generation himself, mm-hmm. and he's 62. So, you know, he's going to be in that situation. We're going to be in that situation together. He's 62. They, he's 62, and I'm 60. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and he's an artist. So his way of viewing the world, being in the world, is very different from what we could call a conventional existence. Mm -hmm. And his notions with regard to our elders is very different from somebody who is a second or third generation person raised in the U.S., which is a country that, frankly, doesn't deal well with aging. I mean, people spend tons of money trying to prevent the inevitable, which Mm -hmm. is that things are going to wear out. You can do so many fixes to make it look like things aren't wearing out, but they're wearing out. That's the reality. Mm -hmm. And um, for him, 
as a portrait artist, you know, he finds the most interesting portraits to be of people who have seen things in life. But his thinking about the care and love that needs to be given to elders is so clear and absolutely if there is any way to take care of them at home we will do that Mm -hmm. and he's totally in support of that and he is so kind and compassionate with my dad when all the family members have been fed up with answering for the sixth time the question he will answer patiently Mm -hmm. when everybody else gets up off the couch at holiday gatherings and you know is going off to do other things, he will sit and listen to the story four different ways and point out to me later that actually the story is not exactly the same each time. It's interesting to listen for how little things change in his story. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and he, I think, has learned the most pure information about my dad's life mm-hmm. than even any of the kids. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, because he sits there and he listens and he's got this patience and he's sincere and wanting to know what my dad's thinking and inevitably when we drop the parents off he'll say to me see that your dad is still very together Uh so it's kind of wonderful actually to have a partner like that Uh if i had a partner who did not see things that way it would be another source of conflict in my household Uh it just would be yeah because if there was no ability to understand why I want to still work with my parents' desire to be at home, and if the if the reaction was, well, you can't do that; it's too burdensome. It's it's we have our own life, we have our own family. You've got to, you know, figure out a way to put put them in a situation where they can be cared for, and we can go visit them, but we aren't going to have to have the responsibility of taking care of them the whole time. Mm-hmm. If I had that to deal with, it would be a lot harder, I think. Mm-hmm. Are you concerned about them? I mean, it's, it sounds like they're doing okay, but it's also a bit of a tenuous time now. Yes, I am concerned about them because when you start suggesting change to anybody, there's stress. Mm-hmm. When you start suggesting change to elders, and one of whom is no longer in the same cognition as when they were a vibrant breadwinner of a family of six taking Mm -hmm. care of all the issues and they can no longer drive that you know my dad uh sometimes after a family gathering will be you know because we drive them home after the gathering they Mm -hmm. never drive at night Mm -hmm. um so you know my dad will say oh am i driving you guys want me to drive (laughs) and i can't tell if he's kidding or if he's serious (laughs) Mm-hmm. And we say, oh, no, Dad, we'll, we're, we'll drive. Oh, that's very nice. But, you know, I can drive. I don't have any problem driving. Oh. It's just a short distance. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, uh, we know you can drive, but you know what? We're going to drive. Probably <laughs> not a good idea. We're going to chauffeur you. We're going <laughs> to chauffeur you home. Yeah, that's, that's a good phrasing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's like, oh, isn't that nice? And then we get home, and he'll say something like, Oh, how did we get home? Did you drive? No. Yeah, I drove. Oh, oh isn't that nice? Uh-huh. Isn't that nice? I have, I have my own private driving service. Yes, oh, you do. My... Yeah, so hard to watch. I think it would have been really hard for me to see my dad going down that path. Mm-hmm. I think my mom is a little more accepting of it because she was always a bit in my dad's shadow. 
and mm-hmm. um, she stopped driving after soon after my father died because I moved in with her and kind of took over. She drove a little bit, but then I found that probably because of the grief and also the as yet undiagnosed early stages of Alzheimer's, she was mm-hmm. she didn't know where didn't know where to turn. And, you know, now she hasn't driven probably in about six or seven years. Uh, And she's 86. So how does this affect how you feel about your own getting older and how how you're, uh, (laughs) what it looks like for for you? Here's how I see. I don't have kids. I don't have three daughters. I only have one daughter. I don't have a son, even if he is in Oregon. Uh, What I have is uh, a tremendous support network. Uh, I have siblings who have children who they assure me that nobody's going to forget about Auntie Angela and Uncle Tutu. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we don't know. We don't know what the conditions will be. And to be honest, I don't think about this too terribly much because I have learned over the years that so many things can change unexpectedly. You know, you can plan things, and maybe the plan will happen. I've seen that, too. I am doing what I can, given my situation, to ensure that I'm not completely there. So that is uh, about all I can do. I was not a person who started at the age of 28 saving for my retirement. Mm -hmm. However, I was very fortunate because uh, I bought a piece of property, and it is near the Pacific coastline, and it is highly appreciated now. I've owned it for 25 years and it's practically paid off. So, you know, that may be the asset that I have to turn to. Uh, I have no one to leave the asset to and so it may be that I will leave it with folks that have been good to me over the years and, you know, I've already identified. I I don't feel obliged to leave it to biological family members Mm -hmm. because thankfully they're all doing very well. Mm -hmm. So my contribution to them will be as a token of my love and affection, but it will not be the entirety of the estate. The estate is is significant at this point. And if that were, if it were to be the case that I passed, it would go in other directions. Mm -hmm. Do you think your parents would be willing to have someone move in with them? Eventually, eventually. No, no, no. Not even if she were culturally, not if she were Korean or a a carer? Especially no. no. Especially no. (laughs) Why do you say that? I think especially no, because there's a certain amount of privacy they want to maintain. Oh, sure. Okay. You know, there used to be family disputes, and I would say to my my mother, go talk to the minister. Are you kidding? (laughs) (laughs) It's our community. Why would I talk to the minister about my problems? That's not what I go to church for. So you have to understand all of these are very, very specific to culture and then class within culture, sure. right? So yeah. We're pretty middle class. And, yeah. you know, my mom was a teacher. My dad worked for the county. They both were public sector employees. They live well now mm-hmm. yeah, because they have pensions, which don't exist for my generation or yours. Mm-hmm. And the, the model of work was very different in our generation. Mm -hmm. So it was not expected that you just find one job and stay there for 50 years. My parents each worked in their jobs for over 30 years. That's incredible. It's incredible. The Social Security Administration contacted my father. He gets some little extra perk because he did not miss a single contribution in over 40 years of working life. Not one month went by where he didn't contribute. Wow. 
And, you know, people living longer really means a greater burden on Social Security and Medicare. I mean, the burden of family caregiving is only going to get increased. And that's why everyone's saying don't count on it because it may not be there. And if you listen to the political discourse, there are people who want to torpedo the entire system. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. Uh, they want everyone to kind of just figure it out on their own and we'll give you some money, but, you know, go invest it. Well, these are people that absolutely don't have the sophistication. I mean, look, some of the smartest people who went to the best colleges in our country got indicted. Some putting up the defense that they didn't understand what the instruments were. (laughs) Right. (laughs) They didn't know what a derivative was. Nobody can really talk about what a derivative is. So now you're going to give John Q. Citizen a little bit of change to go and figure out the market? That's ludicrous to me. I don't even understand why and how people allow themselves to get brought into that kind of thinking. You know, there is an entity. It's called our government that's supposed to... (laughs) step in to take care of those that are the most vulnerable, and even those that are not vulnerable, those that are sitting quite comfortably in life now, but the government should be there with a plan for if you have a situation where you can no longer manage. And we are a country that does not take care of the health of our citizenry as other civilized nations do without creating a lot of anxiety. Look at the reason why people go into bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. It's often because of medical care, yep. right? Mm-hmm. It should not be that way in the greatest nation on the face of the earth, should it? No, I completely agree with you. I do think there is some pressure being put now on the presidential candidates. Um, I've interviewed people in the political realm who are working to put it on the radar. I'm hoping that that is absolutely what happens. I really hope that it gets onto a, an agenda that is one that prevails in the next election. I used to spend a lot of time in the political arena. uh, Do you miss that? There are some times that I do, yes, but this is where the decisions and the opportunities have led me, and I'm quite happy to be here at the moment. Spoken like a true um, Buddhist priest, (laughs) a very enlightened soul. Talk about how that has influenced the work that you do. Hmm. In my particular sect, which is Zen Buddhism, I don't think about the spiritual work in connection. It just is either it's there or it's not there. Mm -hmm. And actually, when you talk about it, it's definitely not there. Because it's the thing that if you even attempt it, it, you know, and you can hear I'm struggling with this because I'm remembering so many lectures from teachers who talked about how hilarious it is to see so many books written about Zen, and yet those books are not it. You know, you have a few scholars that were quite capable in sort of beginning to bring the fundamental teachings and knowledge into the Western world, but it's about experiencing what the universe and the harmony of this universe has to offer and to experience what happens when you're not in harmony. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, every day I'm in a situation where things are definitely not in harmony. <laughs> okay? mm-hmm. So it becomes all the more important as I enter that space and try to find a resolution that I be conscious of the fact that my job actually is to hold space, simply hold space, for that which does not yet exist or is not apparent to people who are in this dispute with one another, to hold that space for for the necessary thing to emerge. 
So in mediation, of course, it's not the mediator who's going to decide what. It's got to be the parties themselves that come to it. Mm -hmm. But the skill is in holding that space of nothingness. So that's where I I guess is, is the closest I could come to explain. I am absolutely certain that my practice actually helps people. And I like that I am not in a position where my compensation rests on whether a case comes or how big a case is and how much people can pay and all that, which I've already had that experience. I don't need to um, revisit what it's like to, quote, be in control of your own work day. I know exactly what that is. I did it for most of my working life. I am very, very blessed to be able to simply show up every day and be available and attentive to what's happening right here, right now Uh with these particular human beings. Not the ones that I've read about in some textbook or article Mm -hmm. or interview, Mm -hmm. and not the ones that may or may not come through my door. It's the ones that are right in front of me. Well, is there uh, anything that you'd like to leave the listeners with before we go? Mm, No matter what, it's about going back to your capacity for kindness and compassion, because at this stage in life, you don't have as many years ahead of you as you've had behind you. So, you know, I always hold the hope that there's an opportunity for a person who has been confused to have a moment of clarity before they're done with this part of existence. Well said. Angela Oh, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate your taking the time to do this. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. That's our show for today. Thanks for listening. I'd love to know what you thought about today's show. You can email me at Jana at AgeWise.com. That's J-A-N-A at A-G-E-W-Y-Z, or Z, as my Canadian mother says. You can also find me online at AgeWise.com. And listen to this podcast and lots of other fresh ones on the Speak Up Talk Radio Network, the 24-7 streaming and on-demand radio network that's always on for you. I'm Jana Panaritis. See you next time. Until then, age well, age wise.